Welcome to BookMate, sponsored by Nimbus Publishing. I'm Costas Halavrezos. Today, Leslie Choice, author of Saltwater Chronicles. It can take decades to make sense of how a single decision shaped our lives, and whether it was good or bad. It can take a simple walk on the beach to project you into an unimagined adventure. The memoir is a good means of examining your life at a certain point and sorting out whether experiences distant in time or those more recent have retuned your perspective. You might even have time to reflect on the path not taken. What if you'd taken that high school guidance counselor's advice and become a coal miner? A Leslie Choice has shared those shifting perspectives in previous books, but life keeps delivering more material to reflect on and write about. His latest is entitled Saltwater Chronicles, Notes on Everything Under the Nova Scotia Sun. I've reached him at his home in Lawrencetown Beach. Welcome to Book Me, Leslie. Hi, Costas. Good to be here. You didn't become a coal miner. <laughs> no, that's those old silly tests they'd give you in uh, junior high or high school when I was growing up to say, you know, what What do you like? Well, I actually liked rocks back then, you know, I was collecting <laughs> rocks. I was a kid who collected rocks. And so the guidance counselor read through that uh, test I took and for some reason, well, you'd probably be a good coal miner. Uh, no, probably not my occupation. <laughs> yeah, mine told me I should become an oculist. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, the road's not taken. Uh, yeah. Look, you, you mentioned early in the book that at this stage of life, you want to celebrate the ordinary and discover the extraordinary in the ordinary, and then share that with us. Now, what is it about living on the edge of the Atlantic Ocean for these 40-plus years that's led you to this? Well, you know, I'm not a celebrity. Uh, I'm not a mass murderer. I'm not a president of the United States. I'm none of those other things. I'm a, I'm a fairly happy surfer poet guy living on the eastern shore of Nova Scotia, and that's really all I have to write about. Now, on the surface, that could be extremely boring. So my challenge is, take the little everyday stuff, run it through the mill in my mind where I'm going to add some perceptions and observations to it and try my damnedest to write something interesting. That's all I can do. I, I never know whether I'm going to just fall on my face or whether anybody's going to care about it. But, you know, that's my challenge. And so I give it a go. Now, you suggest that when you are over 65, and you are, a bittersweet quality creeps into certain events, which normally would be just plain sweet. And you felt that at a reunion of surfers on the eastern shore. What was it that happened that evoked that feeling? Well, one of the guys, Donnie Bruce, said he's going to get everybody together at his house in Seaforth. All the old surfers who were people like my age, in their 60s, headed towards 70, who were surfing here in their 20s and in their 30s. And, you know, we just kind of got together for a Saturday morning thing, take a photograph of what we all look like. And, you know, we were all doing pretty good, but others had died. You know, you don't get to this point in life without having lost people. And, you know, for there, it was thinking about surfers. You know, in other parts of the book, you know, I reflect upon the death of my father, the death of a family dog. These things are part of our universal experience. They need to be written about. I think that people often connect with that feeling of that sense of loss. And it, it's tough. Big question marks left in our head. It gets us to confronting the really big issues, you know, yeah. We're all going to die. So, you know, I'm 65, was 65. I'm headed towards 70 here. You know, I'm not going to live to 140. So I'm well past that point mark in my life. And that's rather sobering. 
Now, you've had some other sobering uh, things happen in your life, for instance, dealing with the cancer of your wife. Yeah, uh, like so many people, uh, we went through a phase where uh, Linda had non-Hodgkin lymphoma, and she had cancer treatment, chemo in the hospital, and in truth, it all went very well. She's fine now, but I went through that with her. That, too, sort of woke me up in many ways. You know, one of the things that got us through that I, I wrote about it in the book was the fact that we'd come out of that hospital and either late that afternoon or the next day, we were going in the ocean boogie boarding. So, you know, boogie boarding is a short little, it's not the surfboard, but short little board. You had to put on a wetsuit and we'd get in the ocean and reconnect. And, you know, I'm sure it was much tougher for her than it was for me, but it was the thing that we could do together to, you know, I guess you'd say reaffirm life. We're still living. We're going to get through this. And, you know, the ocean is this thing that helps you heal. Getting in there, getting wet, getting cold, connecting with the waves. Everybody needs something like that to help them get through those tough times. Well, again, the fact that you're on the edge of the Atlantic Ocean colors much uh, of this book and these reflections. There are also a lot of tiny islands along the coast where you live, and you've explored many of them, often alone, sometimes with your daughters. Tell us about the one you call Elvis Island. Yeah, islands are really fascinating. And down here on Lawrencetown Lake, just right off of the ocean, uh, it's a saltwater lake. And across from my old 200-year-old house where my kids were growing up with me, we'd take a canoe across there on a you know nice summer day. And in the middle of this island with a whole bunch of fallen-down spruce trees was this old shack of some sort. The windows were knocked out, the door was open, and there was a huge pile of porcupine poop in the middle of it. <laughs> And no one had been living there for a while. It was abandoned. But there were pictures of Elvis Presley all over the wall. And so, you know, as a parent would do, I said to my kids, uh, you know, this is probably where Elvis Presley ended up. You know, he spent, he, he didn't really die. He spent the last years of his life here on this island that we'll call Elvis Island. And I'm pretty sure that he probably had a, a family of porcupines there to keep him company. And, that, and this is all that's left. You know, Elvis had these all these pictures of himself. And that's Elvis's old cracked teacup. So I called it Elvis Island. I don't think it has a real name. <laughs> that should stick, though. Uh, can I share some more island names with you, though? Please do. Cuckold Rock. Brother Rock. <laughs> Potter's Ledge, Half Bald Tusket Island, Devil's Limb, Pumpkin Island, Thrum Cap, Murder Island, Western Shag Root, Tickle <laughs> Island, Brokenback Island, Rum Island, Boot Island, Quaker Island, Choco Cap, Betty Island, Roaring Bull, and Frying Pan. Now, when I retired, I thought I'd be able to indulge in that uh, great luxury an afternoon nap, and I've turned out to be an utter failure at that. I don't know if I have one or oh, two naps no. a year. but Tragedy. Well, you know, I know. But after reading one of your essays in Saltwater Chronicles, I, I decided I should let you be my napping guru. So give me some tips. Okay, coaching. Listen, napping is beautiful. I think I got the napping gene because my father could sit down on that lazy boy chair in the afternoon and, you know, I could time him. 25 to 30 seconds and he'd be out. <laughs> and I thought, ah, oh, if I could only do that. So my perfect nap now is 20 minutes in the afternoon. It, you know, it's not rocket science, Costas. Lay down first, close your eyes, clear your mind of all those little worries and anxieties and all the stuff you should do and breathe and just fall into it. But 20 and minutes? I mean, how, how, how do you do that for just 20 minutes? Well, more than 20 minutes and you, you go into a deeper kind of sleep that actually if you go to wake up from that, you're going to feel groggy and not of good spirit. So 
I don't know. I, you set the timer in your head. Tell us what happened that made you realize uh, you were no longer the uh, angry, young, anti-establishment figure you thought you were. Well, there's a chapter in the book about being respectable. So, you know, I can clearly recall when I was a young man going into, like, my own bank where I had a bank account, you know, and I had a ripped-up jean, very long hair down, you know, below my shoulders. And, you know, I, I looked like a quintessential hippie. I'm, I'm way exactly that. And people would look at me funny. And even the, the bank clerk, you know, it was my account. I'd been there before. They'd want to see identification. They'd want to see things. When I was young and, and scraggly, you know, if I go into the liquor store to buy beer, you know, they, they would card me, all of these things. And then suddenly, you know, I'm, I'm hitting a point, I don't know, with my 30s or 40s, where people started being overly polite to me. They'd call me Mr. Choice <laughs> instead of nothing at all, which they usually didn't use my name. And then, you know, occasionally people started opening doors for me. <laughs> Younger men opening doors for me. Younger men who looked like they belonged to motorcycle gangs. And I thought, oh, this is terrible. You know, I've become respectable. And it's gotten worse. It's just gotten worse. They call me Mr. Occasionally kids, if I'm visiting schools, they call me Sir. It's rough, I'll tell you. There's nothing wrong with that, though, you know, embrace uh, it. <laughs> I'm trying. I'll sleep on it. Now, you clearly have a facility for, you know, writing about your own life. And, you know, as, as you suggested, you might not make it to 140. What are some of the things you anticipate facing going forward, perhaps for your next memoir? You know, that's a tough question. I'm actually, I hate to say it, but, you know, this month I'm coming up on my 70th birthday. Happy birthday in advance. Yeah, yeah. I think one of the saddest things about growing older is that time goes by so quickly. And I know to say that is a complete cliche, but it really does. I'm looking forward to some finding some method of slowing time down so that I can savor every minute. The way that I feel, and I know many others my age feel this way, is that I'm, I'm not at you know the end of my career. You know, I've written and published a hundred books. You know, well, what to do? You know, good for me. Uh, what about the next hundred? You know, what is it that I'm doing today and tomorrow? You know, I hope there's still lots of joy uh, among the sorrows and uh, lots of challenges. So I guess that's what I'm looking for, challenges. Times like this, I, I think about uh, the lyrics in a song that Delbert McClinton did, and it's, uh, I ain't old, I just been around a long time. <laughs> yeah, it is true, yes. <laughs> well, happy three score and ten. <laughs> okay. Leslie, thank you very much for joining me on Book Me. Thanks so much. Pleasure to talk to you, sir. Leslie Choice is the author of Saltwater Chronicles, Notes on Everything from Under the Nova Scotia Sun. It's published by Nimbus. Want to listen in on conversations with people who create books in Atlantic Canada? We have dozens with authors, illustrators, editors, and designers, all on bookmepodcast.ca. Tell your fellow avid readers. If you'd like to comment on a podcast like today's with Leslie Choice, our email address is info at bookmepodcast.ca. On Instagram, we send an alert every time we post a new interview. Just follow at bookmepodcast. And if you're in the Lunenburg County area, you can hear one of our podcasts every evening on the nonprofit radio station CHLU 93.7 FM just before sign-off around 9 o'clock. Book Me is sponsored by Nimbus Publishing. Our producer is Robin Grant, and Laura Hines publishes our digital chronicles on social media. I'm Costas Halavrezos. Now, let's go read. <laughs>